The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Kicking off 2023 with a whimper as stocks fell to build on yesterday's early morning gains. Futures, however, pointing to a possible rebound today. And souring sentiment. Look no further than Apple, closing below a $2 trillion market cap for the very first time since March of 2021, what that means for the broader market ahead. And talk about a rough ride. Watching shares of Tesla down again this morning after posting its worst single-day drop in more than two years. Plus, Kevin McCarthy failing three times over to be the next Speaker of the House. Voting resumes today. And later, New York real estate doing something for the first time since the start of the pandemic, while some are calling it the Big Apple Freeze. It is Wednesday, January the 4th, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Let's kick off this hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after stocks closed mostly lower yesterday. However, futures right now, they're in the green. Right now, we're seeing the Dow could open up about 90 points higher at this point. The S&P and the Nasdaq also higher this morning. But you have to remember, we opened up higher as far as the futures yesterday. Then we saw the markets plummet as the day went on. Let's also get a check on the bond market, taking a look at the benchmark 10-year yield. Right now, we're at 3.69 percent. Still have that inverted yield curve. Don't need to draw on it. I've been talking about it forever. Also looking at energy. Oil coming off its worst session since mid-November. Settling down more than 4%. This morning, we we're also seeing oil down once again. WTI crude at about 75 bucks a barrel yesterday at 80 bucks a barrel, down 2% today. Brent crude down 2% as well. We're also taking a look at crypto. The price of Bitcoin right now, it remains below that 17,000 mark, uh, up a percent right now. We're seeing Ether up 3%, Solana up 5%. But you have to remember, it took some steep declines in December after the whole Sam Bankman free controversy. He was a big proponent of that coin. All right, let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Our Arabile Goumede is standing by in our London newsroom with much more. Good morning, Arabile. Yeah, good morning, Frank. So the market picture out in Asia to kick things off has pretty much been a fairly mixed one with a mostly negative, uh, positive uh, tilt to the picture, actually. In fact, in fact, you'll find that the Nikkei is the only one having gone down around 1.5% in this morning's uh, picture. Uh, of course, the PMI numbers, the very... Uh, interesting facet has been uh, around that news data. The, those numbers not necessarily helping the manufacturing front then, particularly uh, for the Asian counters, the Nikkei being the one specific. But on the European front, if we focus uh, more on that, we have seen uh, an uptick on that front. It does follow on from yesterday's uh, number from Germany with regards to inflation. They saw their inflation number 9.6%, so a bit of a drop-off on that front. We also even today saw a bit of uh, inflation data coming out of the United Kingdom, not particularly the headline number, but really around food inflation, dropping off 0.2 percentage points to around 14.4%. So still very high as 
one can tell, meaning inflationary pressures are still going to be the key metrics to focus on for 2023 and how quickly that can roll off. But for now, you're seeing the market really move into a positive tilt of fourth of a quarter of a percent, uh, should I say, then uh, for the FTSE 100 with one and a third of a percent higher than for the CAC 40 out in France, which has also uh, been dropping off quite significantly in the last year or so. More than one percent gain for the FTSE MIB out in Italy. So a general sense of positivity, inflation data, the key metrics to look out for. Even France coming out with their inflation data today, Italy, tomorrow. Frank. All right, Arabile, thanks for that look at the overseas action. All right, let's get to some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Pippa Stevens is here. Good morning, Pippa. Good morning, Frank. Well, shares of Apple set to open this morning with a market cap below $2 trillion for the first time since March 2021. Ruling out any pre-market movement, its valuation now stands at $1.99 trillion. It was one year ago yesterday that Apple's market cap briefly topped $3 trillion on an intraday basis before closing at just over $2.9 trillion. In all, that means Apple has lost more than $966 billion in market value over the past year, second only to Amazon, which has lost $1 trillion in market value from its peak. And talk about slamming the brakes. Shares of Tesla set to extend yesterday's losses this morning. The stock closing sharply lower yesterday for its worst single session performance in more than two years. The stock now sitting at its lowest level since August 2020. This coming after Tesla reported weaker than expected sales numbers for 2022 and the fourth quarter. Tesla has now lost more than $950 billion in market value since hitting its peak in November 2021. And China is reportedly pausing a more than $145 billion investment plan to build up its chip industry to better compete with the U.S. According to Bloomberg, officials in Beijing are now looking at alternative measures to support the industry, measures that move away from government subsidies. Frank, I still can't get over those numbers on the Apple market cap. Really quite something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, just the slide of that stock right now, especially in the last month of the year, something to watch as we go forward. Investors just kind of turning their noses up to big tech. Our Pippa Stevens, we'll see you later on in the show. All right, turning our attention to Washington now. And House Republicans facing another day of potential drama after Kevin McCarthy failed three times over to win enough votes to become Speaker of the House. NBC's Bree Jackson joins us now from Washington. Good morning and Happy New Year, Bree. Happy New Year, Frank. Yeah, it was a dramatic start to the new Congress. So Kevin McCarthy does have an overwhelmingly majority support from Republicans, uh, but there is a small faction of right-wing members that are blocking him from the speakership. The House stands adjourned until A chaotic kickoff to the new Congress. A speaker has not been elected. Kevin McCarthy failing to receive enough votes on the first day to become House Speaker, marking the first time that's happened in 100 years. This is a healthy debate. It might not happen on the day we want it, but it's going to happen. As one who loves this institution, I think it's a sad day. At the center of the Speaker standoff, divisions in the Republican Party. This is not personal. It's not. This is about the future of the country. At this point, it seems to just be pure obstructionism. And what's so frustrating is the goalpost seems to keep moving. 
McCarthy offering concessions ranging from prime committee seats to rule changes, but it still may not be enough to persuade naysayers. They've got the leverage now to extract more pounds of flesh that I just don't see Kevin has on his hide at the moment. Republicans hold the majority, yet it was Hakeem Jeffries, the top Democrat in the House, receiving more votes than McCarthy for much of the day. We are looking for a willing partner to solve problems for the American people not save the Republicans from their dysfunction. McCarthy remains determined to take over the speaker's gavel. But at the end of the day, all this that we go through will make us stronger in the long run. House members returning for a second day of votes at noon today. And on the Senate side, there was far less drama Tuesday as new members were sworn in. And today's Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell will hold a bipartisan event with President Biden in Kentucky. Frank. So, Bree, Hakeem Jeffries getting more votes to Kevin McCarthy, probably a bit of a shock there, at least in Congress, and probably a bruise to Kevin McCarthy's ego. So if some if for some reason Kevin McCarthy decides to bow out of this speaker race, who are some other likely candidates? Well, being that the uh, Republicans have the majority, it will likely be a Republican. Some uh, names being thrown around would be Steve Scalise. He's the second in line to McCarthy, as well as Jim Jordan. Uh, and then Elise Stefanik, she's a dark horse in that race. But the bottom line is, it is likely that Kevin McCarthy will somehow rally enough votes uh, to gain the support and gain the speakership. Uh, the question is, will that happen today? Yeah, certainly something to watch. Thank you for the very latest down there in D.C. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, hopes of a Santa Claus rally kind of fizzling out in a very big way. But that doesn't mean that Wex isn't bringing you some Wednesday winners. Vance Howard is here with his picks, plus much more on Apple and its market cap meltdown, closing below $2 trillion for the first time in, in years. And later, a big Apple freeze when it comes to Manhattan real estate. Our Robert Frank is here with the chilling report. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Hopes of a Santa Claus rally just finally being put to rest after a rocky start to trading for the new year. Yesterday's losses appearing to match expectations from Main Street to Wall Street, which overwhelmingly expect economic difficulty in the months ahead. Joining me now is Vance Howard, Howard Capital Management CEO and Portfolio Manager. Vance, great to have you here. Hey, good morning, Frank. How are you? All right. So yesterday, obviously, the first day of trading, one day does not make a trend, but a bit of a reversal. We saw energy as the laggard yesterday was the big winner in 2022. Communication services, the big winner, up 4% as a sector with, of all stocks, Meta pushing it higher, up 3.5%. What do you make of the first day of trading? You know, Frank, it's kind of weird because the first few days of trading in, in any new year, it seems to just be really bizarre. It's just all over the map. It really doesn't make a lot of sense. 
the uh, the trend's clearly down. So, you know, we're holding a lot of cash, Frank, like you and I have talked about a couple of weeks ago. But you know, I don't think 2023 is going to be a bad year. I think that we're going to end up up. I think the first quarter is going to be pretty rocky and pretty volatile. And we're pretty, you know, distressed about that. But going into the latter part of the year, we're pretty optimistic. All right. I know you trade on math, not emotion. So give me your portfolio right now. How much equities, how much bonds, how much cash? We're literally sitting in 50% cash. We're 50% in equities. We do have a few uh, one-month treasuries, and that's about it, maybe one to three-month treasuries. Other than that, we're sitting in about 50% cash. But i got to tell you, Frank, I see a lot of opportunity out there when this thing turns. When you look at, like, Taiwan Semiconductors, trading at 140 a share a year ago. Now it's at 75 bucks. They got Their free cash flow is great. The company's great. I mean, that thing's going to be a big winner when the market turns. But, you know, one thing that, like we do, we do trade on math, and the trend's down, so we're not going to buck the trend. But when the trend changes, man, there's some great opportunities out there. Maybe, you know, uh, once-in-a-lifetime buys. All right, so you're talking stocks already, Vance. Let's talk about some of your picks. One of them is in the energy sector, Chevron. Kind of give us your thesis when it comes to picks for the start of this new year. You know, well, I, I like Chevron. I like the energy sector, too. I think that energy is going to go higher in 2023. You know, China's going to open back up. You know, let me give you a real life example on inflation, Frank. I'm opening a museum. I bought a hundred year old building and I'm rehabbing it. I'm, I'm turning it into a museum. But it's taken me three times as long to reconstruct this building. And that's where the inflation's at because of the supply chain issues. If the supply chain issues open up, you know, I don't think we need to slow down the economy for this uh, for, for, for these issues to start to, to, to un- unravel. It's taken me almost nine months to get AC units in, and they're still not in today. So if we get the supply chain issues to sort of back off a little bit, which it appears that they are, I don't think the Fed needs to really raise rates at this rapid clip that they are. I think inflation is going to start to correct itself. I was going to some of your other picks. Crown Castle is another one that's in the bottling and packaging space. Why are you so bullish on that name? Well, it's a real estate name, and um, they have over 40,000 cell towers around the United States. So if you're looking at sort of a more of a safer play, and they're paying a buck and a buck 20 a, a share in a dividend, too, so you get kind of paid to wait. I think it's going to be over 200 a share by the uh, end of 2023, but it's sort of a safer play. It's almost a utility because of the 40,000 cell towers they have wrapped in a real estate wrapper. So you sort of got the best of both worlds there. So I think Crown Capital is just an easy trade going forward uh, and, and an easy way to make money. On a, on a pretty safe stock. Yeah, my, that was actually a mix-up on my part. I was thinking of a bottling and packaging name. Mix-up on my part. We have one other pick from you, BCC. This is a stock I actually haven't heard of. Um, kind of give us your breakdown, your thesis on this one. Well, Boise Cascade, no, they're in their construction. Like I said earlier, if the supply chain issues start to ease up, you're going to see Boise Cascade and companies like Boise Cascade sell more and more and more product because people are going to be able to build, uh, construct things at a little bit quicker pace than they have been. So we're pretty bullish on the uh, the construction side of things too. Is like I said, you know, rehabbing this building, I've, I've gotten to see firsthand how. Uh, the supply chain issues are truly affecting construction and truly affecting, you know, uh, the inflation impact that it's having on all of us. So one last question for you, Vance. Um, you mentioned that you're not really in bonds right now. People like Jeffrey Gunlock believe we're in a generational opportunity for bonds. Why aren't you bullish on bonds right now? The trend. The trend of the market's down. Let the trend change. Let it work itself out. And it will. I think I talked to you about this last time, Frank. We're getting pretty bullish, too, on emerging market bonds. And you can look at that with, if you wanted to play emerging market bonds, I'd play it with uh, PCY, which is the ETF of emerging market bonds. But it's starting to turn. The trend's going to change on, on, on the bonds. And I think bonds are going to be a great buy in 2023. They're just not there yet. All right, Vance, you kind of left us dangling. I, I got to know what kind of museum you bought, but we don't have time to, or you're opening, but we don't have time to talk about it now. Vance Howard, always great to have you on. Talk to you soon. All right, still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. Microsoft reportedly readying a Bing search engine revamp, taking a few cues 
from the wildly popular ChatGP app. That story and much more when Wex returns. Stay with us. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Shares of General Electric are slightly lower as the company gears up for the first day of trading for its healthcare unit spinoff, which begins trading on the NASDAQ today under the ticker GEHC. The move completing a step in this slow-moving breakup of the industrial giant that will eventually result in three independently traded companies, with the next spinoff for the power, renewable energy, and digital units expected early next year. Executives telling shareholders at GE's Healthcare Investor Day last month that they will be doubling down on research, development, acquisitions, and the company's digital platform, all making up the spinoff's estimated valuation of $31 billion. Joining me now is Nicholas Heyman, Global Head of Industrial Infrastructure at William Blair. Nicholas, great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. So first off, um, are you a believer that GE was trading at that so-called conglomerate discount and that this spinoff is genuinely going to create value for shareholders? I think there's definitely upside. And I think today, large is not necessarily good. It's complexity that is very hard to manage in um, in a global extended supply chains. And, uh, you know, extensive diversity um, has been replaced really today by focus and agility. So, yes, I do think that there is value to be unlocked here. I think a lot of people remember in, in uh, United Technologies before they merged the aerospace business with Raytheon, there was you know, lots of upside um, from the spinoff of Carrier and Otis. And I think very clearly uh, people think there's upside at healthcare and at uh, GE Aerospace. Uh, they're cautious uh, about the uh, Vernova, the, the renewables and power and grid. But um, I think that ultimately will um, be able to be revitalized. So it's at least right. not a drag on unlocking value. So, Nicholas, I want to go back uh, to what I said earlier. I said GE was trading slightly lower, down 20 percent in the pre-market ahead of this spinoff. Is that a, a bad omen for this spinoff? No, I mean, you've you got to remember, you're taking and removing a part of what was trading yesterday for the amalgamated three businesses, healthcare, Vernova and aerospace. So you're moved over to start to trade healthcare separately. And so that, in turn, is what you're seeing reflected this morning. It's not about, like, you know, the world's ending for GE today. Okay. Um, so what is the outlook for this spinoff? Do you see a lot of investor interest in GEHC? Uh, GE Healthcare is uh, one of two uh, leaders in the uh, diagnostic imaging space. Um, one of its advantages is that it uh, has really rolled out successfully uh, artificial intelligence to help prioritize um, t- uh, clinicians to be able to realize which um, images that have been taken, which scans are most important to review first and which can wait. And so, in essence, part of the clinician's job is now being done by uh, artificial intelligence. And um, that also is being used to enhance throughput and utilization uh, of the equipment in the field. So, I think this business is very well positioned uh, for steady 
uh, growth with well above average profitability. So what about the the original GE ticker, the original General Electric, obviously more spinoffs planned. But what's your outlook just for the conglomerate as 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 it exists today, uh, especially with some potential potential tailwinds, the Inflation Reduction Act, um, putting more money into investment into electrical grid and other infrastructure? Yeah, today is probably the best time to be invested in focused industrials. Um, we have 1.2 trillion of U.S. government stimulus that is specifically focused on industrial and markets, and GE is a major beneficiary over at Venova and at Aerospace uh, for these stimulus funds. And uh, you also have extended tailwinds for above-average defense spending for the rest of the decade, an extended upcycle for commercial aviation, um, and you've got an immense amount of change in the global economy today. We're changing how we power the economy. And GE's in the thick of that with renewables and a lot of grid upgrade, you know, software and hardware. Um, and I think the company is, you know, ultimately going to prove to be, uh, even on the Vernova side, better than people uh, might have feared. Yeah, you were kind of uh, leading into the other question I was going to ask you about GE Aerospace. Um, what is the outlooks for, outlook for that? Um, you mentioned more defense spending. Is that also a tailwind for that segment? Yes, it is. It, you know, GE has been positioned prior to this escalated uh, global defense spending that you know emerged post the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But um, uh, you've got uh, an extended period here where uh, GE will be developing both new and replacement and upgraded engines for both helicopters and uh, fighter equipment and uh, fighter aircraft. And then on the commercial side, they hold 55% of the global market, uh, which is about $85 billion, uh, for you know uh, jet engines. So they have a very strong position in the uh, narrow body with their partner CFM and Safran. And then uh, they hold about 55, 51% of the uh, wide body market. And the wide body market is just starting to recover. So, you know, the aerospace prospects, you know, the company has never been more preeminent in their space than they are today in the, uh, the jet engine business. All right. Uh, GE shares down big ahead of GEC trading on the NASDAQ. Nicholas, thank you for being here. Appreciate the insight. And for all of our viewers out there, be sure to catch the president and CEO of GE Healthcare in a first on CNBC interview coming up at 10.15 a.m. Eastern. And coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, it's not just Tesla kicking off 2023 in the red. Ahead, another EV maker facing a bit of trouble of its own. And if you haven't already, follow the podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. Stock starting off 2023, where they left 2022 in the red. Markets now turning their attention to the latest rate hike signals from the Fed. Futures pointing to slight gains. Apple shares taking it on the chin. The tech giant's market cap once again below $2 trillion amid fresh demand concerns. And Tesla shares continuing their tumble as that disappointing deliveries report raises new questions for investors on the road ahead for Elon Musk and company. It is Wednesday, January the 4th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. Let's get a check on how the trading day is shaping up. Futures right now in the green. We're seeing the Dow could open up just about 90 points higher. We're seeing both the Nasdaq S and the S&P both just about a half a percent higher, give or take, in the pre-market. Remember, it is early. All right, time now for your big money movers. 
We're starting off with shares of Apple set to open up this morning with a market cap below two trillion dollars for the very first time since March of 2021. Its valuation now stands at one point nine nine trillion dollars. It was just one year ago yesterday that Apple's market cap very briefly topped three trillion dollars on an intraday basis before closing at just over two point nine trillion in all. That means Apple has lost more than nine hundred and sixty six billion dollars in market value over the past year. Second only to Amazon, which has lost $1 trillion in market value from its peak. Joining me now is Sophie Lunyates, Senior Equity Analyst at Hargreaves Lansdowne. Sophie, great to have you here. Hi, good morning. Great to be back. All right, let's start off with this Apple. Uh, Apple obviously caught up in that broader tech sell-off. What are the other concerns that you think have investors deciding that Apple's just not for them, at least not for the start of the year? Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's no, there's no nice way to put it. Apple has had, had a horrible start to the year. I think one of the main concerns, and you've touched on it there, is demand. You know, Apple sells bigger ticket expensive items, which are exactly the kind of thing that people are potentially not going to be um, splashing out on, um, while interest rate concerns and inflation concerns are rumbling on the way that they the way that they are. Um, but what I would point out is, is at the same time, I don't think that demand concerns are, are perhaps as as worrying as they are for some of Apple's um, peers, you know, looking back at last quarter, you know, this is still a $19 billion a quarter business. And, you know, it's posted 14 consecutive quarters of growth currently. You know, that could change. I I do expect that to change in the January quarters, but I don't think we're looking at a total collapse of demand for Apple. But certainly for me, the biggest challenge uh, alongside those well-publicized production problems in China um, is really the demand profile from here. And the market's having a tough time mapping what that's going to look like. And that's where we're seeing so many nerves injected into the share price. So, Sophie, obviously, the U.S. consumers, especially and, you know, consumers in China as well due to lockdowns, um, are just spending a bit less right now. But Apple also has a very sticky business when it comes to services. I know um, I need to upgrade my storage. Once you get in this Apple ecosphere, it's really hard to get out, whether it's your phone, your iPad, iTunes, et cetera. Um, Why aren't investors basically valuing that um, just that recurring income that comes from being in the Apple ecosphere? There are a couple of reasons for that. And also, you know, I'd, I'd point out I'm, I'm also stuck in that ecosystem. Um, it is an, it's a phenomenal business model. Um, and I do think that actually investors in the markets are in a way rewarding that because, yes, OK, Apple shares are down about 30 percent on a year view. But that's still less than, say, the Nasdaq composite as a whole, you know, that tech heavy um, composite. So it's still showing a little bit more resilience than tech as a whole um, on certain metrics. Um, but in terms of why I think there are still some some jitters, some nervousness, um, if you look back at last quarter, um, service revenue or well, services revenue was actually slightly lower than the markets were expecting. So what they're what we're seeing is that there's a little bit of a question mark around just how sticky subscription-based revenues are. Um, you know, Netflix is also testament to that. Just because you have a sub-based business doesn't necessarily mean that everything is, is sticky at the moment because the economic conditions, the wider environment is so dramatically difficult um, and far worse than anybody had planned for. So really, I'd say services still a, a great business model, absolutely a really important growth lever for the business. But we are seeing potentially a bit of a slowdown there. Um, and again, the market, that keyword again, is just really quite nervous because it doesn't quite know how to map that demand just yet. All right. Certainly something to watch. Uh, Apple up a percent in the pre-market, but closed down three and a half percent yesterday. All right, Sophie, one more for you. Shares of Tesla set to extend yesterday's losses this morning. The stock closing sharply lower yesterday 
for its worst single session performance in more than two years. The stock's now sitting at its lowest level since August of 2020. This coming after Tesla reported weaker than expected sales numbers for 2022 and the fourth quarters. Tesla has now lost more than $950 billion in market value since hitting its peak back in November of 2021. What do you make of Tesla's slide? A lot of times we're talking about Elon Musk running two companies. Obviously, Twitter's a private company. Um, and then also Tesla, of course, SpaceX is also another factor. But what do you see being the biggest issue here with Tesla? Is it just the miss on delivery numbers? Because they did rise by about 40 percent. Yes, I think you've, you've, you've hit it there, really. If you look at the gap between production and deliveries, um, you're looking at about 34,000 vehicles, and that really is what spooked the market today. Yes, there have been concerns about um, Musk and his his, his Twitter um, involvement and whether that meant that he was distracted. But really, when you when you get down to it, when you look at the, the level of the recent share slide, it comes down to that delivery profile. And again, it's a question of demand. Tesla is facing absolutely phenomenal competition in the space as well. You know, you have more traditional car makers like Ford, for one, um, throwing a lot of money um, at electrical vehicles. So there's a big kind of competition question mark. And then at the same time, production again um, in China. But also China is a really, really important growth market for Tesla in particular. Um, and really, we're seeing quite a, a, a sharp economic slowdown there in spending as well. Um, and Tesla's, you know, more so than an iPhone, are exactly the kind of thing that if you're feeling nervous about the economy, is maybe something you're not going to buy just yet. You're going to hold off and see and see what happens. So there's a couple of things going on. But mostly it is that that big gap between delivery and production. That number really spooked the market. All right, Sophie, so when it comes to Tesla, buy, sell, hold. When it comes to Apple, buy, sell, hold. I think it depends on your, your risk appetite. And um, what I would say about Apple is that it has and remains to have, um, you know, one of the, the strongest brands on the planet. Um, and I think that potentially the, the sell-off that we've seen has been more linked to a wider tech sell-off than anything Apple-specific, um, whereas Tesla, I think, is, is kind of staring down the barrel of, of some really quite specific stock questions. So certainly potentially a bit more risk there. All right, Sophie Lund-Yates, thank you very much for being here. Appreciate the insight, as always. All right, time now for a check of some of the morning's top stories. Our Pippa Stevens is here with those. Good morning again, Pippa. Hey, Frank. Well, Tesla is not the only EV maker missing production targets. Rivian missing its 25,000-vehicle target for 2022 by a few hundred trucks. In an email to employees, Rivian's CEO said more than 700 vehicles were awaiting parts or other work to be completed at the end of the year. He blamed ongoing global supply chain problems for that missed production target. Rivian shares down more than 80 percent last year. And U.S. regulators are warning banks on the risks associated with crypto in the wake of the collapse of FTX. Officials telling financial firms that dealing with digital assets exposes them to an array of risks, including scams and fraud. Regulators adding they are still figuring out how banks could adopt crypto while adhering to their various mandates for consumer protection and anti-money laundering. And Microsoft is reportedly working on a version of its search engine that will use artificial intelligence. According to the information, the tech giant is looking to launch a version of Bing using the AI behind OpenAI's chatbot, ChatGPT. The report adds the new feature could come before the end of March and is a part of Microsoft's latest bid to challenge Alphabet's Google search engine. Frank? 
Yeah, so I'm certainly going to watch that. This, this chat GPT is pretty interesting. I, we were talking about it on Tech Check a bit ago. I still don't quite get it because it's kind of crowdsourced, right? But Yeah, all, all I know is that it gets way smarter with time and that it's all over my Twitter and Instagram feeds <laughs> at this point with a, a lot of people typing in random things and getting entire screenplays or, or novels <laughs> even out of it. You know, Pippa, I just don't think I'm a first mover. I got to see it work <laughs> and everybody else try it out, then I'll, I'll jump on. Pippa Stevens, thank you. All right. President Biden, he's heading to Kentucky, to, to, to Kentucky today to promote the economy and his infrastructure law. The president will be joined by the governors of Kentucky and Ohio, as well as Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell at an event to tout $1.6 billion in funding to repair a bridge that connects northern Kentucky and Cincinnati. With money starting to be doled out from the infrastructure program, let's talk a lot more about what companies and stocks may benefit with Catherine Thompson, CEO of Thompson Research Group. Catherine, great to see you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Good to see you, too. All right. Before we get into the stocks, let's just kind of get the setup here. Obviously, the president's sure. going there to talk about the bridge, $1.6 uh, billion or trillion in, in money to be spent. But in general, is there a tailwind for infrastructure stocks? And if so, what are they? Yeah, no, so you've got two different funding sides to think about. First, uh, uh, base case, State Departments of Transportation are flush with cash for two reasons. Uh, one is on the federal side. And one thing that the Congress will not investigate about is infrastructure funding. And that is how we got IIJA, which is infused about $110 billion to roads and bridges. So that's one side of the equation. The other side of the equation are State Departments of Transportation in the wake of the Great Recession got a lot more um, diversified in terms of funding. So really disintermediating the or, or really being so reliant on the Fed. And it's not just gas tax increases. It's a, it could be um, uh, taxes on billboards, um, other really creative funding measures. So in short, uh, you're going to see um, availability of funding uh, of dollars flowing through that are just now starting to hit the road. And, and next year, and really this year, kind of the fiscal 23 and into 24, you're starting to see the outlays flowing out. And that's okay. part of what you're seeing today with Kentucky. All right, Catherine, you always have some great picks. Give us some of your picks. Yeah, so there's, I'm going to start with two and then I'll, I'll clean it up with on the materials and services side. Um, from a, it's a little bit newer name in terms of being public. It's called Core Name, ticker symbol is CNM. And this is just a great uh, water infrastructure play. And so it is, um, has a cleaned up balance sheets, 1.7 times lever, great free cash flow, 60 to 70% uh, um, cash flow through. Uh, and it's really cheap right now. As a specialty distributor, distributor, it should trade at least in the low teens. And right now it's trading a good three to 400 basis points where it should be. So that's on the infrastructure side. Um, then on the basic materials side, I have a company called Summit Materials, uh, ticker symbol is SUM. Um, it was a roll-up uh, that was built up in the, in the wake of the Great Recession, um, have new CEO in, in place for the past year and a half. Okay. And they're really cleaning up the portfolio. And that one is also cheap. Um, and you've got a really good cleanup story on that one. So, Catherine, you and I have uh, talked about infrastructure plays in the past. You mentioned Vulcan materials. Sure. Are you still bullish on that name as well? You know, yeah, there's if you look at the material names, uh, Vulcan is going to be you know, the largest pure play aggregate company. But, you know, other good plays would be Martin Marietta, MLM, 
uh, and CRH. Um, CRH does have materials, but they do a lot of road building. So those, those would also be a good place. All right. Catherine Thompson from Thompson Research Group. Always great to see you. Happy New Year. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, New York City's real estate market feeling a bit of a deep freeze on actually warm day in January here in the city. Robert Frank is here to break down the dramatic drop in sales for the Big Apple when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Live look at the tree at Rockefeller Center. Generally, that's going to come down in the first week of January, so you may just have a few more days to see that site. All right, winter coming just a little bit early for New York City's real estate market, seeing a big freeze in the fourth quarter, sales seeing one of their biggest drops on record during the period. Our Robert Frank joins us now with much more. And Robert, how concerning is this for the city's real estate market? It's concerning for the city and the nation. This is the biggest real estate market in the country, and apartment sales fell 29 percent in the fourth quarter. That is the biggest decline since the start of the pandemic in 2020. Prices also falling for the first time in two years, with the median price down 5.5 percent. The average price for a Manhattan apartment now just over $1.9 million, a bargain. But prices are not falling enough to bring in buyers. Brokers now worry that the nation's biggest real estate market could be entering a deep freeze where sellers don't list because prices are soft and buyers are holding off until prices decline even further. Inventory is also holding down sales. It rose 5% in the quarter, but it's still well below the normal levels. More than 55% of the deals were all cashed. That is an all-time record. Luxury holding up a little better with prices at the top rising 4%. While the rest of the market saw price declines, the pipeline, though, suggests a very weak start to the year. Sales contracts in the quarter fell 42 percent. That is the worst quarter for new contracts signed in over a decade. But prices, uh, brokers, if you talk to them, they are eternally optimistic, Frank. They said wealthy buyers from China and the Middle East, they came to New York in December And along with their luxury shopping, also did some apartment shopping. So they said it was a good very end of the year. We'll see whether that carries through this month. Yeah, I think if you're buying an apartment, that's luxury shopping unto itself, Robert. So you mentioned that median prices came down five and a half percent. But also, as you also mentioned, these um, overseas investors and buyers are actually coming back. And a lot of them are probably cash buyers who aren't as sensitive to the, the rise in rates as U.S. buyers, I would imagine. That's right. And they're also taking advantage of some really short term weakness in the dollar. Over the long term, the dollar is is stronger against other currencies. So that's not helping the market. But we did see some weakness in the dollar. So that, along with the fact that they're not as rate sensitive, helped. And Manhattan's always been a very cash heavy market. It's always been around half the market. So much more cash intensive than the rest of the country. But look, real estate, no matter where you are, is an interest rate sensitive asset. So they're looking for prices to decline further this year. Whether they fall enough to really bring in those buyers, that's going to be the question, Frank. Well, this is one of the few cities in America where 1.9 million is a bargain, Robert Frank. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bargain. You got it. Great to see you as always. Happy New Year. We've got to get Frankly Speaking the podcast going. I'm telling you, it's a hit. All right, on deck here at Worldwide Exchange, stocks looking to hit the reset button on the new year. Victoria Green is here. She lays out why she says markets could retest lows and the stocks that are very high on her radar. 
And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back. Welcome back. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. We begin with Representative Kevin McCarthy falling short in three votes on his bid to become the Speaker of the House. The voting process will resume today at noon. Southwest Airlines is offering 25,000 frequent flyer points to travelers affected by flight cancellations over the holidays. That's on top of ticket refunds and reimbursement for expenses already offered by the airline. Twitter says it will undo its 2019 ban on political advertising in the latest shakeup of the platform's policies since Elon Musk became owner. And Microsoft has recognized its first union of employees in the software maker's history. It's a rare move for a large tech company. And the head of Goldman Sachs Consumer Banking Unit head is stepping down from the role according to an internal memo seen by Reuters. The move comes after Goldman signaled in October it was scaling back ambitions for that business. And a new forecast by the Consumer Technology Association says spending on technology will fall over 2% this year as a looming recession and inflation weigh on demand. All right, gearing up for the trading day ahead, several pieces of economic data on tap today. At 7 a.m., we get weekly mortgage applications. Then at 10 a.m., it's the monthly jolts report ahead of Friday's jobs report. And we also get the ISM manufacturing figures. Then at 2 p.m., we get minutes from the Fed's latest policy meeting. Could be a market mover. We're also watching out for Costco's December sales figures. All right, stocks looking to hit the reset button after starting off the new trading year on a bit of a sour note. Futures right now in the green, however, off their highs of earlier today. We saw the Dow looking like it could open up about 80 to 90 points higher earlier. For more on the trading day ahead, let's bring in Victoria Green, founding partner and chief investment officer at G Squared Private Wealth and a CNBC contributor. Victoria, happy new year. Always great to see you. Good morning, Frank. How are you? All right. So let's get your take on just what you're expecting on the trading day ahead. Yesterday, we saw the futures up pretty big in the morning and we saw that decline throughout the day. What are you expecting for today's trading day? I do think the data is going to move us today. Like you mentioned, we also have ISM, the Fed notes and what's happening with jolts. If we saw more contraction in the job market, it's been this trend where futures overnight have been very positive and they've either faded pre-market rally or they faded in the early morning trading. So I'm not too, uh, too optimistic that we'll hold on to these right now. And I think today we will be moved around a little bit by, by the data coming out. We're starting to get back into our rhythm of the, the economic and, and indicator data coming through. So let's see what the numbers say. And I think that's going to definitely move her futures end up today. All right. So you're saying the data might move us. I think we've kind of sort of ruled out any type of Santa Claus rally happening. Um, I know you also look at the technicals. What are the technicals telling you about the markets right now? Right now, your downtrend is intact. It's a bear market. We've had uh, two lower lows, which typically lead to, or two lower highs, which typically lead us to two lower lows. If you look at the, the, the trends, you've hit the resistances you expected to hit. We didn't break through them. We had a brief breakthrough on that 200-day moving average. Everybody got super excited about it, and then it came right back down. So if you look at the technicals, the technicals right now are saying bear market still. We're going to push lower, 34, 3200 before we find this floor. So it's just a hard for us to get excited when you're fighting some bear very, very strong technical resistances that have held multiple times in this downtrend, which we're now really entering almost a year of this bear market. Uh, Coming up, we have what I think could be a market mover. I think a lot of people think could be a market mover, those Fed minutes. What are you expecting from those Fed minutes? And what could the Fed minutes say or show us that would actually make the markets move higher, despite what you're saying are some very bearish technical signals? 
Yeah, you know, we were all about transitory for a while. Now we're all about pivot. That's the word of the year is pivot and slow down deceleration. So I think everybody's looking at this clue of where does this take us next? You know, Powell's been pounding on the table. We're not going to flip around. We're going to keep it higher for longer. Like markets be ready. We're hawkish. But if you see more instances on the lag or if you see some dissension or if you see some some new verbiage put in there, I think people are going to to really cling on to any new verbiage and say, this is good. This is dovish now. They're thinking about slowing down, you know, maybe Maybe they're not going to go 25 in February if we continue to see data slow down in, in January. We see what happens with unemployment and jolts. So I think people tend to get very excited about anything in there that's perceived as dovish. But then you also need to listen to the commentary and what the speakers have to say as they get ramped back up on their, their speaking tours. Uh, and, and right now, it's really hard because Powell's trying to tell the market, we are not going to lower rates. We are going to stay higher for longer. But the market and the fund futures are pricing in that we're going to end up lower next year. Look at what the 10 years doing. To start the year off, you know, we've come back almost 25 basis points, 10-year lower right now. Uh, and so the market's pricing in, hey, things are going to get worse and the Fed is going to have to capitulate. But Powell, this disconnect is what we're really watching in the market. What does the Fed say and do versus what the market's expecting? And right now there is a disconnect through year end. All right, capitulate. That might be the word of 2023. Um, we want to get to your <laughs> stock picks. But first, give us your take on Apple really quick. Then you can just go into your picks if you don't mind. Yeah, Apple for us is the best the breed of mega cap. It's still not our favorite, though. It broke through some major supports. It's hit new lows right now. As you talked about earlier, tech spending expected to, to contract over 2% on the year. It's just hard headwinds. Both they had supply crunches potentially from China and, and making the, uh, the iPhone Pro. They may not be able to sell as many units. So right now, while I think Apple's one of best of breed companies, I think it's too early to own Apple. Uh, it's facing too many headwinds, and I think the stock is just stuck in a downtrend that I'm not quite ready to own it yet. But I I do think if you had to pick a fang or whatever our acronym is now, uh, they're one of my favorite mega cap talks. I just think it's, it's fighting too much uh, to be successful in the short term right now. And what about your picks? Yeah. Well, we still are long energy. We still like Schlumberger. We love our Chenier. We think one of our major themes for 2023 is still energy security. I know oil prices have came off yesterday and, and a little off this morning on the concerns of the China start-stop reopening and the, and the COVID deaths rising. But for us, energy security isn't a short-term theme. It's a long-term theme. If you look at where most major banks and investment companies see WTI closer to 100, 120, somewhere through year-end, we have more sanctions coming in at Russia. We have countries looking around saying, oh, we need to we need to make sure our energy is coming from partners that we trust. And I see that as a huge boon for American producers. And especially with the natural gas, if you look at where Chenier exported to, they exported like 90% to Europe. And they're, they're, you now even have Asian markets coming more online. If you see China get some good news, we could see they're the biggest crude importer in the world. So we like the services companies. We like Chenier for the natural gas export play. They're a really, really well-operated company. And the other one we like right now is Zoitis. Uh, they have a, a pain reliever drug that's caught, caught up in FDA approval, been very successful in Europe. They got hit last year on supply chain concerns. We really think that they're going to turn it around this year. Uh, companion, companion animal spending has just been going up and up and up. And we, we love our pets like family. Like my dog is definitely very high on my <laughs> list of family members that I like. Yeah, you know, same here for my dog. He had to have uh, some surgery, get some medicine, but I agree with you. Pet spending is going up. Victoria Green, great to see you again. Happy New Year. All right, before we wrap up, Worldwide Exchange, some upgrades and some downgrades to flag. RBC Capital cutting its price target to $186 per share from $225. RBC citing the fourth quarter deliveries missed for Tesla, saying it could spark lower midterm expectations for the EV maker. UBS cutting its price target for Amazon to $125 from, uh, from 165 
UBS citing increasing difficulties around the cloud sector and potential impact on Amazon's AWS division for that move. UBS also downgrading its rating on Microsoft from buy to neutral, citing risk to the company's Azure cloud and office services. All right, that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Futures in the green right now. Squawk Box is going to take it from here. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.